Good evening, saints and friends. How are we doing this wonderful evening in the late part of June? We are into the summer, officially into summer. And so uh, glad to have you here with Bible study with us. Our uh, last Bible study for a while, our last Bible study until July the 7th. So thank God for that and you guys being here with us. Let's bow our heads and pray. Of course, remember to like, share, comment and all those wonderful things. All right, let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, love you, honor you, appreciate you. You are the great majestic King, and for that we honor you and glorify you, God. We thank you for our Bible study family, both of those who are in the building as well as those who are online watching us and those who will rewatch later. We ask that you would illuminate our minds, that you would illuminate my uh, speech and revelation as a teacher and illuminate the ears of the listeners as well as the hearts of the listeners so that we will be eternally touched and blessed. And we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. Good to be here. This is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to deviate from our, our Sunday. We're not going to be going back on what we talked about Sunday. Sunday, we talked about fathers on Father's Day. So for Bible study, we're going to do something a little different. And this is going to be our topic for today your enemy, but God's tool, your enemy, but God's tool. And one more time, your enemy, but God's tool. And the premise of today's study is how, even though we have an enemy, which is Satan, the devil, he actually works as a tool for God. So sometimes the enemy that we deal with, that we face is uh, not just, it's not just demonic attack we're under, but it, oftentimes God uses his attacks as a tool and he doesn't realize that he's a tool in the hand of God. So instead of him being an irritant to us, which is what he's trying to do to defeat us, he ends up working on our behalf because God uses him as a tool. And so it is uh, God's tool and it's our enemy. So we'll put that up again, your enemy, but God's tool. And something I want to uh, make us aware of or, or get us to understand in this teaching on tonight is that it doesn't necessarily have to be a tool. Uh, the enemy doesn't necessarily have to be a tool, but many times it is. So the first point that we're going to make as we go into the scripture, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 10 and digging into Isaiah 10. But the first point that I want to point out is many times because of our lack of humility, our uh, in hum humanity, um, we have a tendency, if we do grow, if we do gain success, we have a tendency, tendency to lose our humility. Our humanity sometimes lacks humility. So many times God has to allow us in our growing stages. He has allowed the enemy to get in our face and get on our case to humble us, to allow situations to humble us, or another word for humble is humiliate. So we, we want to choose humility so we don't have to be humiliated. But even in the humiliation, many times God is using it as a tool. So when we think of uh, many times our life before we came to Christ, Sometimes we had to hit rock bottom before we started turning to God and started realizing that he was the best way. Sometimes our children, even though they may have been brought up in the things of God, they have to hit some humiliation 
to expose them where they are. And then once they yield themselves, God can turn it into a blessing. So our enemy sometimes comes from our own doing, our own lack of humility, our spirit of pride. And Satan, he was, when he got cast out of heaven, he was operating in pride. So the original sin is pride. And we all have a tendency to walk in that. So what God will do, he will allow us to be humbled in many ways. One scripture says it's better for us to fall on the rock than to have the rock to fall on us. So as we grow, we learn to humble ourselves. So the scripture says it this way, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. So as you grow and mature, you don't need to be humiliated. You learn to humble yourself. You learn to say to God, be the glory for any blessing you receive, any accolades, any success, any wealth. You, uh, you take it with a grain of salt because you understand that everything comes from God and by God and it belongs to God. And we uh, live out our service for God. But before we get to that place, many times we have to be humiliated. So we're going to start in Isaiah 10 and we're going to see that. And then we're going to see the flip side of how it is turned uh, as a tool and how when we shine the light on it, we see really what the lack uh, of wisdom that our enemy has. And before I get, get into it, in Isaiah 10, it lifts out someone called the king of Assyria or it talks about Assyria. So to give us a premise of, of what that means and, and kind of makes sense out of it is that there was a time when Israel just would not obey God. The children of Israel, they just kept going backwards. And so he promised them, he promised them through a lot of the, uh, the prophets, specifically through the prophet Isaiah, that there was going to be a group of Assyrians that would overtake them. And would cause them a bunch of harm and it would humble them and it would make them turn their hearts back to God. He uses two major people during this time. He uses the Assyrians and also the Babylonians. And later we see that they were exiled even into uh, Babylon. So Assyria and, and Babylon are both of those things that God used. But in the case of the Assyrians, specifically the Assyrian king, he thought he uh, was overcoming Israel because of his power, his might, his expertise, not knowing that God was allowing him to overcome Israel because he was trying to teach Israel a lesson. So basically the enemy thought he was something special, not really realizing that he was a tool in the hand of God. And our enemy, Satan, sometimes God will use him to teach us a lesson. He uses life situations and circumstances to teach us a lesson. But the devil himself gets the big head thinking that he is getting the ascendancy over us, that he is winning over us because he has attacked us and he's used demons to come in our way and throw us off. And because he sees us crying here and there, he thinks he's something special. But God wants to prove to him, no, you're just a tool in my hand because I'm actually using it to benefit and bless my children if they would humble themselves. So as we go through the scripture, you'll, you'll see exactly uh, what we're talking about. All right, so let's go to the first verse. Isaiah 10 and 1, it says, Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune, which they have prescribed. And uh, to give us some context for this, when God is speaking in this way, he was talking about 
his people, Israel, especially those who were in uh, the position of judges, they were the ones doing the judging and the ruling. And there came a time where they were making judgments and rules off of greed and not out of justice. And we have seen this in our day and age where we see police brutality. We've seen uh, Supreme Court decisions. We, we've, especially in America, we've seen a lot of things in what we've called a Christian nation. We've seen a lot of people who are in power, politicians who are making decisions not connected to justice, but connected to greed, connected to money, connected to uh, hatred, uh, white supremacy and superiority. And what God was saying when he was talking to the people of Israel, he's like, you guys are way off. You're way out of pocket. And I'm going to I'm going to show you something. I'm going to fix you because I have raised you up to be in positions of authority and power to bless people not to crush people. And the key is they knew what they were doing was wrong, but it was more financially beneficial for them to not uh, uplift justice or for them to pervert justice. And the scripture talks many times about those who pervert justice. And once again, we've seen it in, in our American society where people are doing things that they know is wrong, but it benefits them, it keeps them in power. Uh, right now we have a situation where voting rights the suppression of voting rights. So because of the the voting of the last election, how so many people voted and the mail-in ballots caused people to win, now they're changing rules. And many people think they're just trying to keep people from voting because they know they are not going to be voted in if people are allowed to vote, if everyone's allowed to vote. As long as the rich people are allowed to vote, they can win. But when poor people who are affected by policies, when they are allowed to vote, many times these people get voted out of office. So they suppress the vote. They change the rules. They change the laws. This is not new. Israel was doing the same thing, and God was very upset with them. So let's go back to that verse. Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune, which they have prescribed. They write uh, judgments and hand out sentences that are evil because they know they are unrighteous to rob the needy of justice. So this is the reason why they were doing it to rob the needy of justice and to take what is right from the poor of my people. Not all of God's people are poor, but there are some poor in God's people. And when those people are mishandled, it upsets God that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. Now, on Sunday, we talked about fatherhood, the importance of that. But in that day and age, many times the poor were those who were without fathers and the poor were those who were widowed. In other words, the men had so much power in that day and age that when the men were gone or when the fathers were removed or the husbands were dead, those children and wives who were left behind, they many times they lost so much. They lost a lot of property. They lost a lot of land because they were powerless because of the structure of the, the, the ancient structure that men held so much power. So when people no longer had fathers and no longer had husbands, they were automatically impoverished. They were automatically in trouble. And what God was saying, these people who are in power should be helping those widows, should be helping the fatherless, should be helping give them justice. But because they didn't have power, what those people were doing, the people in power, they would just write laws that just further took away from them, 
took their land, took things. We, we see one scripture where uh, one of the sons of the prophets had died and the widow was left behind and there was nothing she could do. And the creditors were going to come and take her sons into slavery to pay off the debts. And it wasn't like these was these were debts that she accumulated by herself. This is things her husband had done. But when he was gone, the law was written in ways to hurt people. And what God was saying that these are my chosen people. I understand when the, the Hittites and the Philistines and the Amorites and the Moabites, I understand when they do this kind of stuff. But those who are my people, when you are hurting others of my people, in other words, you are doing things to hurt the poor of my people, it ticks me off because all these are my people. And this is something we have to remember as we press and, and look for success and prosperity and want God to grow us up and to bless us in every aspect of our life, spiritually as well as financially. We can never get the big head and we forget the people who are still poor among us, the people who are still without. We may be great fathers and our children may be great uh, because they had great fathers in their lives, but we cannot forget the fatherless. We may have great marriages, but we can't forget the people who are single. We may have great businesses, but we can't forget the people who are unemployed. We should have the mindset where we live our vision every day. We love everybody. We are concerned about everybody. And when we get the big head and we forget the little person, then God says, I got to do something to you to humble you or humiliate you because at any moment you could be where these people are. So let's go deeper into the scripture. What will you do in the day of punishment and in the desolation which will come from, a from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your glory? In the, this context, your glory is your wealth. And what God is saying is because of the attitude that you have, something is coming and something is going to come against you. And where will you run? Where will you hide? Where will you go? Here's the thing we have to remember, no matter how saved and spiritual you are, this is a simple principle that is written into scripture that you reap what you sow. So if you are up now and you're on the top now and all you do is dog someone who's below you, tables will turn and you will reap what you sow. And God is saying, where are you going to run then? Where are you going to hide then? So we always have to have a humble mindset that our future doesn't have to always go the way it has gone. In other words, once we start getting blessed, doesn't mean that we have to be blessed forever. Once we get a brand new car, doesn't mean that the next season we won't have to ride the bus. So when we're in the brand new car, we ought to be willing to allow people to ride in it. We should not have our focus on that. So here's the problem with God prospering us is many times we get caught up in the material things and forget God. So when he does that, when that happens to us, he doesn't kick us out of the kingdom, but he does have to use people and things to come on our lives to straighten us out. And normally what he has to do, he has to use enemies. So I'm going to put that up again to point out something. What will you do in the day of punishment? Because there comes a time where, where that needs to be punished and in the desolation, which will come from afar. In other words, it'll come from an area that you're not looking, that you don't see. You know, many people had no clue that a pandemic was going to come on the land. Uh, something like COVID was going to happen. 
and they were making decisions previously in 2017, 18, 19, not knowing that COVID was going to hit in 2020 and their business was going to go belly up. And some people did not recover, but other people did recover because in those other years, they always thought about someone less fortunate than them. They, they never allowed their success to go to their head. All right, let's continue to read verse four without me, they shall bow down among the prisoners and they shall fall among the slain. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Uh, I want to take a little moment and I, I want to discuss that uh, in a little more detail. So this is something we see all throughout God talking to his children, Israel, when they were what I call out of pocket, when they were, were getting into the place where they were serving other gods and they were forgetting about justice. They were perverting justice. They were forgetting the widow and the fatherless. He began to warn them that I am going to punish you. Actually, if you look way back in David's uh, time, when David would talk to Solomon, David told Solomon, listen, God's going to bless your kingdom. He's going to do this and that for you. As long as you follow these instructions that I have followed. So Solomon did it for a while and then he diverted. And then from Solomon on down, every king kept getting worse and worse in some way. And uh, even to the place where right after Solomon, the, the kingdom was split into two, 10 uh, tribes went to the north and they called it Israel. One tribe stayed and it was the south and they called it Judah. And then you have that uh, that other tribe that wasn't connected to either one, which is the Levitical priesthood. But all through that time, if you look and study uh, Kings and Chronicles, you will see they just kept getting into so much junk. Judah and Israel, no matter what kings they had in, in, in the Israel, in the northern kingdom, not one of the kings was righteous. Not one. God didn't have anything good to say. Not one of the kings in uh, Judah, the southern kingdom. Uh, coming after David and including Solomon, only eight kings total were kings that God called righteous. And so when you get into the prophets and the prophets were prophesying the judgment that was going to come on them, he had the same things they had to say to them. Listen, you forgot God. You turned away from God. You served other gods. You perverted justice. All these things that you did. So let's put the scripture back up. So then he's letting them know, without me, you shall bow down among the prisoners. Now, the only reason why you have been blessed is because you have a connection and a relationship to me. But you keep turning your back on me and you turn your back on me and you turn your back on other people. You're getting caught up in your head. Your head's strong. You're disobedient. And so I have to remove my presence from you. But when I remove my presence from you, you are without me. And when you're without me, you're just like any other prisoner. You may be wealthy, you may be rich, you may shout on Sunday morning, you may speak in tongues, you may have been baptized, but let me move my presence from you. You are nothing. You're just like everybody else. And so God was trying to point that out to them. And that's why David, when he got in trouble, he made the statement, God, whatever you do, don't take your spirit away from me. Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. I know I messed up with Bathsheba and killed Uriah, but I humbly come back to you and say, yes, I messed up, but God, whatever you do, don't take your spirit from me. And people can get caught up in arrogance in such a way 
that they can feel like they can do things without God. I don't need to pray for my business. I don't need to pray for my family. I don't need to pray about what church I go to, what vacation I take. I don't need to pray about what I buy and what I eat. No, you need to talk to God all the time. So that's why the first step in our vision statement is we connect with our creator continually. We never get so cute, so righteous, so holy, so anointed, so prosperous that we don't need God. No, we need God for every decision. We need God for every thought. We need God to help us because sometimes our thoughts do go off. Sometimes we get in our flesh. We need to repent. We need to be connected to him. We need to understand that. And so they had forgot that. So he reminded them, without me, you're going to bow down amongst the prisoners and they shall fall amongst the slain. You're going to die like everybody else. But then he adds this statement because he's talking to his children. He's not talking to people who don't have a covenant with him. They have a covenant with him. And then he says this, for all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. When you look at all the prophets who prophesied to Israel and let them know, look, you guys are messing up. They always added this, but God's hand is still stretched out. So this is something you have to understand that even if you get in a place where God has to humiliate you, humble you, correct you, punish you, his hand is still stretched out to you. He's never trying to put you in a situation where he's trying to harm you or hurt you to, so you lose heaven and you lose your relationship with him. No, he's trying to correct you because you are still his child. So it's my job as a leader to teach us in such a way that we never slip into that. But if we do slip into that, we will have to be punished. But even in the punishment, God is always trying to get us to turn to him. So if you get in a situation where you have to be punished because you got out of pocket, do remember that this doesn't mean you have to miss heaven. The only way you miss heaven is if you purposely choose not to come back or, or a better way for me to say it. No one can take you and pluck you out of God's hand. But you, if you want heaven, you can achieve it and receive it. All you have to do is stay with God. And that means if he has to punish you, you have to stay with the punishment, accept the punishment, uh, repent so that you can go forward. I'll put it back up again and read the, the bottom part. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. So even in his correcting and his punishing, his hand is stretched out still. All right. So now we're going to switch and we're going to talk about the enemy. We're going to switch because the scripture. So we're going to drop down four verses. So let's assume that the first four verses that we talked about, that doesn't fit any of us. And I think that's a good assumption because if you're uh, caught up in pride and you're headstrong and you're disobedient, you're not going to be spending your time coming to Bible study. You're not going to be spending your time watching online. So let's assume that we're, we're beyond that. We are disciple makers. We are leaders. We're not, uh, need, we're not in a place where we need to be humbled. We're not in a place where we need to be humiliated. We have really focused and we're tapping in, we're tuned into God. So then with that understanding, the conversation switches. It switches from us to the enemy. So now if we've really locked into God, then where the pride is and where the arrogancy is not with us, it's with Satan. So this is what happens is the more we get locked into God, the more arrogant Satan gets against us. And he keeps saying, I can tear them down. I, I can, I know Althea is praising you through her trouble, but you give me a little time where I will tear her down. 
I would have her going back to the clubs. I would have her drunk and acting a fool. Just give me some time because he gets arrogant. And the scripture to help us understand that is Job. And that's why uh, God said to Job, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And he had to be honest and tell the truth. Yeah. And then he began to just uh, what I call diarrhea, the mouth just start saying too much. And, and, and he started really exposing what was in his heart. And he was like, you let me at him. He'll, I, I can get him to curse you to your face. I can, I can get him to uh, turn his back on you. The only reason why he's serving you is because you're blessing him. And truth of the matter is, and I'm, of course I'm paraphrasing, but truth of the matter is I've come against him, but you got a hedge about him. Move the hedge about him and I'll get him to curse you. I'll get him to go all the way back on you. And of course, we know that God allowed him to. And then after everything he did, Job fell down in worship. And then he comes back before God. He's like, well, you didn't let me touch his body, but let me touch his body. Let, let me make him sick and get him sick. It's one thing to mess with our materials. But when our body is sick, that's another type of pressure and another type of something uh, that we go through. And Satan kept saying, I can get him to curse you. And what we know the story is, even though we, if you really read the story of Job, Job got depressed. Job said some things toward God that was probably not the best. He got frustrated. So it's not to say that you won't go through anything, but when you really locked into God, we will see like we saw with Job, Job came out with double for his trouble. Now, a couple of weeks ago, when we talked about a shame on you, we talked about the scripture that says, God will give you double for your shame. So this is what God knows. He knows he can bet on you if you love him and you're locked into him. He knows he can bet on you even in trouble. You can come out better than you were when you went into it. So God is not always in a rush to get us out of trouble and in a rush to stop trouble. We pray that the sickness would never come on us. We pray that our children would never make any mistakes. We pray that we would have uh $3,000 a week so we don't have to worry about bills. But God doesn't always answer those prayers. Sometimes he answers the prayer by allowing the trouble to come, allowing our children to mess up, allowing unemployment to come, allowing divorce to happen, allowing depression, anxiety to happen, allowing grief to come. But what God knows, he knows that if we would just stay with him, get locked into him, that we will come through every trouble and every trial. So as we switch to these next verses, what we're going to see, we're going to see the arrogance of the enemy and the enemy really, really, really believes he can get you to end up in hell. He really believes that he can get you to quit throwing the towel after all God has done for you, after all you've been through and after all you come out of in your mind, you've made up in my, your mind, I am going to follow Jesus. I'm not giving up on Jesus. And Satan says, yes, you are. I'm going to get you. I'm going to mess you up. Same thing with Jesus as he walked on the earth. He comes as the son of God and the Messiah. And Satan was like, you're not going to make it. You're not going to win. He tried to tempt him. And he, he develops an elaborate scheme to end up killing him, getting him to die on the cross, not knowing that that was the thing that God wanted the most because he came to sacrifice his life. So Satan is actually an enemy and an ignorant enemy. And as we uh, go back to this initial thing, he's your enemy, but he's actually God's tool. 
So the more you get locked into God, he's not really an enemy. He's a tool in the hand of God. And that tool is going to be used to bless you instead of hurting you. All right, we're going to go to verse four. I mean, actually, verse eight is where we want to start. For he says, because now I'm dropping four, uh, four verses in the scripture says the king of Assyria says, are not my princes altogether kings? So this is actually the king of Assyria talking, but we're going to put it in the terms as if Satan is talking. So the king of Assyria says, aren't all my princes kings? So he's saying even everybody who serves under me is top notch. So Satan says the same thing about his demons. Look, all my demons can destroy deliverance temple. I don't even need to come down and do anything. I can just send some demonic attack three six months of demonic attack, I can cause Deliverance Temple to fold and never be a church again. This is how arrogant Satan is in his thought process. Verse 10, as my hand has found the kingdoms of the idols whose carved images excelled those of Jerusalem and Samaria, verse 11, as I have done to Samaria and her idols, shall I not do also to Jerusalem and her idols? Now, this is what the king of Assyria was saying. He had, he had really come through and killed a lot of countries. He had taken over a lot of countries. And he was saying that in all these other countries, they prayed to their idols and their idols didn't help them. So what does Jerusalem think they're going to do? Now, Jerusalem was the seat of the southern kingdom known as Judah. Samaria was the seat of the northern kingdom known as Israel. So uh, the king of Assyria is like, I've already taken care of Israel. So what does Judah think they're going to do? And here they are praying to their idols. So the king of Assyria, which we are uh, uh, terming like he's Satan, is saying that, listen, God is no different than any other idol. He's no different than anything else. And so he's not going to be able to stop me. But what the king of Assyria didn't understand is all those other gods were false gods. The God that was ruling over Jerusalem was the real God. He was the God of the universe. So Satan or the king of Assyria is not coming against Jerusalem or coming against us. They're coming against our God. So when you say my God is nothing, you're not attacking me. You are attacking my God. My God is not just like any other idol. My God is not like Donald Trump. See, some people look at the way people worship Donald Trump and look, look, all y'all Christians are crazy because I see the way y'all worship Donald Trump. No, don't lump us all in the same basket. You have some folk who are worshiping men, but we serve the true and the living God. We praise God. We don't praise denominations. We don't praise political parties. We don't even praise our pastor and our bishop more than we lock into God. We connect with our creator continually. If Andre loses his mind, we're not following Andre. If Royce loses his mind, we're not following Royce because our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So, well, I'm going to get your pastor to cheat on his wife and then it's going to mess up your salvation. No, baby, that can't mess up my salvation. I'm going to pray for him, but I'm not looking to a man. I'm not looking to a woman. I'm not looking to any idol. My hope is locked into God. And Satan really thinks that our hope is in some folding, failing thing. And it's not. Our hope is in the God of the universe because we are really locked in and tapped into God. But he doesn't, he don't know it. He's like the king of Assyria. He really thinks 
we're just going through the motions like everybody else. No, you got the wrong church. You got the wrong Christian because that ain't how I roll, uh, fella. That ain't how I operate. So let's look at uh, verse 12. Therefore, it shall come to pass when the Lord has performed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem that he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his haughty looks. God is saying, first of all, I'm tired of just the way he look. I'm tired of his arrogant look. And what I need the devil to know is the only reason why he's been able to throw obstacles, trials, um, challenges, demonic pressure and attack my people's way is because I was working something in my people. So really, Satan, you are a tool in my hand. You ain't all, you're not all that. So the grief that my child went through was a tool in my hand because I'm making them better and stronger so that they can help anybody else that goes through grief. In other words, I'm building up disciple makers and it's hard to be the disciple maker if you've never gone through anything. So I'm using your demonic attack, Satan, to actually build my children up so they can help the world. So once I get done doing the work in them that I'm doing, I'm going to turn my look on you because you haughty with your arrogant, ugly, nasty, evil self. And every time you come against Ella and her son, I got something for you, but I'm just using it to benefit Ella. But once I get done doing the work I need to do in her, I'm about to wear you out, devil. And I can call all your names and say the same thing. Satan, with his arrogant, ugly self, really thinks all the challenges he's throwing at you is going to make you quit on God. And God is saying, no, all I'm doing is developing my child. Now, remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the uh, the sermon, try me. And we say this many times we are tested. No, we are tempted, triggered, tested, but ultimately we're transformed. So that means when we're really locked into God, even when we fail and sin and do the wrong thing, God turns it and works it for our good. When we fail and sin and do the wrong thing, Satan laughs at us and really thinks he done worked us over the coals and God is laughing at Satan saying that sin that you caused them to fall into, I'm going to turn them around so much that they'll never fall in that sin again. This is the last time they'll be tempted like that. This is the last time they'll fall. And God is really developing us and growing us so that we can develop and grow other people. And Satan has no clue that he's a tool in the hand of our father. That's worthy of a praise break right there. If, if uh, if, if we was in church and had the organ and the drum, that's shouting material right there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, cover that verse 12 again and just look at it a little. Actually, let me make it bigger. Therefore, it shall come to pass when the Lord has performed all his work on Mount Zion. So God is doing a work in us. And sometimes the work he's doing in us, he will use trials to do it. God does not... Uh, design the trial. This trial is designed by Satan, but God will use the trial to benefit us because many times he's doing a work in us. And the ultimate goal that the work that he's doing in us is to keep us humble so that we have the right uh, proper position and posture, the posture of humility. Because once again, because of our humanity, blessings can go to our head. You, you've been waiting on a mate. 
you finally get a, a mate, you get a fiance, you uh, are able to walk down the aisle and you turn into bridezilla. People know what that is, where you you just you just horrible to your bridesmaids, you're horrible to everybody because you got your man. God doesn't want us to be like that. He doesn't want blessings to go to our head and make us lose our idea of living our vision every day. And we're human. Certain blessings can go to our head. So before he blesses us to that level, he strips us down and he uses trials and obstacles. So that point that when we get blessed, we say to God be the glory. We say for the great things he has done. We know that we are promised nothing. Everything we get, we are grateful for because God didn't have to do anything for me. He didn't have to breathe his breath in me. He doesn't have to wake me up in the morning, start me on my way. He doesn't have to put food on my table. He doesn't have to put a roof over my head, clothes on my back. He doesn't have to have me a have me in a vehicle that gets me from here to there. When I travel, I'm going on vacation. I'm not thinking, oh, I'm trying to stun on my haters. No, I'm not trying to think about it. I'm just like, God, thank you that I can see your ocean. Thank you that I can put my feet on sand beaches because my ancestors, they were dragged over here in oaches and beaches and had to go pick cotton, was whipped and beat. And here I am and I can pay to go where I want to go. I'm not going to get the big head. I'm going to be humble and grateful for everything I get. That's how God wants us to be. But our humanity and our flesh has a tendency to go the opposite way. So God uses Satan as a tool to do a work in us so that when we get blessed, we are ready and we handle the blessing well. There's nothing worse than a person who handles blessing wrong. There's nothing worse than a person who handles wealth wrong, handles uh, marriage wrong, handles a new car wrong. There's nothing worse than someone who gets a, a bad spirit when they get in to a place of power. Not to beat a dead horse, and I haven't talked about it as much since he got out of office, but but Trump, he does need to have some credit for talking his way into office, not really being qualified and talking his way into the highest office of our land. But once he got in office, there was no humility. There was no look. He, he, he can tell you he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. He was the greatest president that ever walked the earth. He'd done all kinds of things. And no matter if his facts were true or false, he sang it as if it was true. Look, God rest his soul. I'm not here to say whether he's saved or not. But one thing I know, when I get into a higher promotion, I don't want to handle it the way he handled it. I don't want to all of a sudden have so much turnover in the people that follow me. I'm firing folk left and right. Well, one day you my best friend. The next day you out of here. Althea, you fired. John, you fired. I don't need you no more. I want to have some humility. I want to to uh, the people that helped me get there. I want to be gracious and thankful to them and not have to have people where they got to kiss my behind to uh, to keep me happy. And the only way, you know, you got to jump through hoops and, you know, do all that. No, that's the wrong mindset. That is not living our vision every day. So I always, as a pastor, I always want to have said about me that I was a man of integrity, but I'm also a man of humility. No matter how anointed I get, no matter how prosperous I get, no matter how far I go, that I'm still approachable. I can still smile at you. I still have time for the people 
who uh, who uh, really invested in me. You know, as we grow and go, I may not be able to spend time with all the new members, but those people who were on the ground floor, I don't want to ever forget them. I see John in the mall and I act like I don't know who he is. Now, uh, remind me, who are you again? <laughs> I'd have forgot people. So we, we don't want to be like that. So God does a lot of work in us ahead of time before he begins to promote us and bless us. Now, if we go through all that and still end up with the big head, we're the fools. All right, so let's let's continue to go. So at the end, he talks about, and uh, I'm going to punish him for the fruit of his arrogant heart and his haughty looks. Verse 13, for he says, by the strength of the king of Assyria, or we're, we're looking at it as Satan, he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it. And by my wisdom, for I am prudent. Also, I have removed the boundaries of the people and have robbed their treasuries. So I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. Me, me, me. I, I, I. I did this. I did that. Now, if you look at uh, both Ezekiel and Isaiah, it talks about the this king. It talks about how I will lift my uh, self above the most high. And so it, it does connect king of Assyria to uh, Lucifer and how he acted. So Satan starts every time you have an attack and every time you have a setback and every time something actually uh, comes against you that's hard, here's Satan getting a big head. I did this. I did that. Look, look, I got Andre crying. I got I got his wife in the hospital. I, I did this. I did that. And, and God is thinking, OK, with your eye, I, I, watch what I do to you. Um, verse 14, my hand has found like a nest, the riches of the people. And as one gathers eggs that are left, I have gathered all the earth and there was no one who moved his wing nor opened his mouth, even with a peep. Now, once again, we're looking at this spiritually as Satan, but we, in context, this was actually a king talking. So now this human king is saying that he is actually controlling nature. Like once I showed up on the scene, the birds didn't move the same and the insects didn't move the same. Everybody is bowing down to me. And that's just extreme arrogance. And Satan is like that too. He's just in extreme arrogance. So, so you like, you run over a, uh, a needle on your tire, your new tires, and now you have a s slow leak. Satan's like, I did that. See, I'm the one who got you now at the tire barn. Like, that's a big, whoop, big whoop-de-doo. I'm just going to go get it changed and go about my business. Like, every little thing, Satan, he tries to take credit for. And that's why we have to be careful when we're going through things and making everything so demonic. Like, everything is, you know, I, I went to the restaurant and they cooked my steak wrong. The devil sure is busy. No, they just cooked your steak wrong. Stop giving the devil credit for everything because that's what he wants. He wants to take credit for everything. Some things are demonic. Some things are just life. And it's no big deal. Well, I gained 10 pounds in the quarantine. The devil is busy. No, you just gained 10 pounds in the quarantine. It's not that big of a deal. I can lose it when I get ready if I want to. If I can't lose it, I'm still sexy and cute with my extra 10 pounds. Satan, you get no glory. You get nothing. God gets all the glory. So we learn to move and we stop giving Satan, all this attention. Now, sometimes you have to rebuke him. Sometimes you have to pray against things. But after you rebuke and pray, you really get your mind off of him because that's what he wants. He wants your attention and you don't give him your attention. 
I'm still, I'm about to go back to church to praise God. What you mean you're going to church to praise God? You got bad news. The bad news don't change the fact that God is still worthy of praise. I still need the word. I still want to be around my uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. So why wouldn't I go to church? Why wouldn't I show up? Well, your two weeks ago, your loved one died. Yeah, they died. And I'm still working through that, but I want to go to church. So I'm going to go to church. I'm not going to give the devil the attention that he wants because that's all he wants. Verse 15. Now, this is uh, God speaking. It says, shall the axe boast itself against him who chops with it? How arrogant would it be for the axe to start talking? It's like, ooh, I'm sure chopping this wood good. No, if I don't pick you up and swing the axe, you can't do anything because the axe is just a tool. And whatever the axe does, it's controlled by whoever is wielding the axe. And so as the king of Assyria was talking, God begins to speak through the prophet and says, can the axe tell the person who's swinging it that they're doing all the work? Because really they are not. Back to the verse. Or shall the saw exalt itself against him who saws with it? So the saw look you in the face and say, I sure did some good cutting of the wood when you did all the elbow grease. Now we talked back then, it wasn't no electric saw. It was a, you did all the pushing and working to saw something. And then the saw is going to take credit for all the work that you did. As if a rod could wield itself against those who lifted up or as if a staff could lift up as if it were not wood. And other words, God is saying, as if it's not just an inanimate object with no power, no ability, it's just, it is what it is. It would be like the chair really giving itself credit for holding you up. No, that chair was designed to hold you up. So when you sit in the chair, you don't give the chair credit. You don't praise the chair because that's what the chair was designed to do. Satan once he failed, he was designed to work for God. Number one, he was designed to work for God at the beginning. When he failed, he was still designed to work for God. So whatever he's doing, he's working for God. Because all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So he's attacking you, yes, but he's still the servant of the Lord. He's still working on your behalf. He's making you better but he thinks he's getting the ascendancy over you. He thinks he's defeating you, but we always triumph in Christ Jesus. He's just a tool in the hand of God. And once we understand that, we understand almost like the book of Job. We see Job in the first two chapters. In the first two chapters of Job, we see Satan. There's 42 chapters. In the next 40 chapters, we don't see Satan at all because really it's between God and Job. What was happening in Job's life was God finding a way to elevate him. But in previous ways, God had elevated Job only through blessing. Now he was going to elevate Job to another level of blessing, but he was going to do it through persecution. And he was going to use Satan in the process. But Satan was only the center of attention for two chapters out of 42. And in your life, stop making Satan the center of attention. Yes, he did do some things. Yes, he got into your children. Yes, he got into the job. Yes, he got into this and that and that. But really, that's the last we're talking about him. 
because God is using it all for your good and he's using it all for your benefit. All right, let's pick up verse uh, 16. Therefore, the Lord, the Lord of hosts will send leanness among his fat ones and under his glory, he will kindle a burning like the burning of a fire. Verse 17, so the light of Israel will be for a fire and his holy one for a flame. It will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day. Now, the revelation of this, I'll, I'll try to make it really quick, is the Lord our God is a consuming fire. And while we are going through the fires of life, what happens is the enemy or our challenges thinks they are putting us on fire, but really they're just trying us in the fire. And then what happens is we draw our enemy into the fire and they burn up and nothing happens to us. Perfect example of that in a real uh, world example that happened in the scripture was the three Hebrew boys. Nebuchadnezzar was a part of Babylon, one of the, the ones that God allowed the children of Israel to be punished by, but he got the big head too, got this big statue that he says, everybody's going to worship this statue and you're going to worship me. And the three Hebrew boys is like, listen, we only worship God. And he was like, fool, who do you think you are? We got this fiery furnace. We're going to build it up and we're going to throw y'all into the fiery furnace. We know the story that the people who threw them into the fiery furnace, they got burnt up themselves. The three Hebrew boys never even smelled like smoke. The fire never did anything to them. And Nebuchadnezzar himself had to look in there and said, wait, we threw three men in and I see four of them in there. And the fourth one looks like the son of God. Now here's an evil, wicked king who now is looking and says, this one looks like the son of God because our God is a consuming fire. And when the devil thinks he's putting us on fire, all he's doing is burning up the ones who are trying to burn us up. And God steps in every one of our fires and protects us. Now, yes, it may be warm in your situation, but you will not burn up. You will not die. You will not quit. You will not throw in the towel. You will not end up in hell. Your loved ones will not not be saved. You will not end up with cancer. You know, you're going to be okay because God is stepping into every one of our fires. Not only is he stepping to every one of our fires, he helped orchestrate the fire to draw the devil in and burn him up and his demons while he keeps us safe. So in the end, we win. So that's why when we still read about the three Hebrew boys, we still shout over it. And we still get excited over it because we've all been in fiery situations and found out somehow, some way we come out every time. It's not to say that we want to be in these hot situations because some of them are not favorable. But when we look back over our life, we can say God has brought us through every single thing. And the only thing that died and lost in it was the devil and the demons that was trying to get us down. They were the only ones who lost in it. In my case, in the case of the three miscarriages that, that I had, I, now I have three wonderful children, and I only think about the miscarriages just to testify about it. I had, uh, I, I'm on my third GM factory, have other ones closed down, but somehow I've, I've not missed one beat, not missed a week of payment. 
Uh, yes, I've had to travel and go different places, but other people lost their job. Other people didn't make it. God has still protected me through it all. So through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Through it all, I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, God gets the glory. And the demon that was trying to put me in the fire ends up losing. So the light of Israel will be for a fire and his holy one for a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day, meaning it'll burn up in one day everything the enemy is trying to do. Verse 18, and it will consume the glory of his force and his fruitful field, both soul and body, and they will be as when a sick man wastes away. If you ever watch a person just die, die from a sickness, and they're just every day, they're just dying. That's what God was saying to about the king of Assyria. It's like all his greatness is going to all be burnt up. And the only thing is going to be left is him wasting away day by day by day. So the scripture says about us that the outer man wastes away, but the inner man is renewed day by day by day. So as our flesh is dying, Satan in his power is dying with our flesh. But on the inside, our spirit is growing each time. So Satan gets excited because he's trying to attach himself to our flesh and cause stuff in our flesh to die. And God says, that's what I want to happen anyway. I want their flesh to die anyway. So what you're doing is really helping me and I'm using you to help me. But while you're dying in the process, devil and demons and Satan and plans of the enemy, while you're dying, his spirit is growing. Her spirit is growing. Deliverance Temple is growing and getting stronger spiritually, even though they're going through things naturally. And the only thing that ends up dying in the process is the devil that came against us to begin with. Verse 19, this is the last verse. Then the rest of the trees of his forest will be so few in number that a child may write them that a child may write them. I'll give you just the revelation of this. So one thing about the king of Assyria is he had, uh, he had conquered so many lands that he had basically, he had all these forests, all these trees, everything. And what God was saying to him, I'm going to diminish you so much that a child can draw what you have left. And it'll fit on one piece of paper with a little crayon and a child drawing. You know, when the child draws something, they draw these little stick figures. They're not really developed and they're nothing really amazing. It's little, it's small, it's cute because it's a child. But what God was saying to the king of Assyria, I'm going to diminish you so much that a child can fit all your accomplishments on one little piece of paper in a little drawing. And he was boasting about all he did, all he took, all he stole. And God is saying, I'm diminishing it all and bringing it down nothing. And Satan, as he looks over your life, he tries to bring up all the things that he's taken from you, all the things that he's done. And what God is saying, I'm going to turn it all the way around to where he's going to have nothing to show for all the attacks he's done in your life. The only thing he's going to be able to look at and say is, I have nothing while they have everything. And so that's our job to keep processing and growing through everything that God wants us to go through, because at the end of the day, even though he is our enemy, he's nothing but God's tool. All right, saints, we are going to uh, end. I'm going to pray and then we'll have our open discussion offline.
with our saints. So thank you for uh, tuning in. I hope this uh, blesses you that you realize that God is on your side and there's nothing that's happening against you. Even though it may be hard, there's nothing happening against you that can take you out. It can only bless you. It can only be a tool in God's hand for you if you realize and believe that at the end, you're going to come out victorious. All right, let's let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, love you, honor you, appreciate you. God, we understand that many times we've been in heavy attack. We've gone through many things in our lives, many challenges, but we're learning that those challenges are making us greater and greater. We are not getting less. The scripture says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We are never becoming the less. We are always becoming the greater through you because Satan is nothing but a tool in your hand and we are getting better. We're growing through every trouble, every trial, every sin, every failure, every obstacle, every trip, every loss is all turning into a lesson. It's not a setback. It's a setup for a step up and a step up for a bless up. And that's how we believe. And that's what we receive in Jesus name. Amen. And a man. God bless you. We appreciate you. We love you. Have a great week. This is Andre Mitchell Ministry signing off. Love you. Appreciate you. Enjoy yourself. You will win.